0: We talked about the gospel call to salvation, We're talking about justification. Day, we talked about that. The inward call. What's the outward call? What do we call the, What is the outward call of the gospel? What is that? No, the outward call. Yeah, the presentation of the gospel to the whole world, right? Everybody. And then there's the inward call, or the effectual call, or the effective call. That that is, what? Yeah, the Holy Spirit drives it home to the person and says, I'm going to save Steve Couture. And that's just how it's going to be, you know. And he drives the message home. We talked about that. We're talking about the things involved in salvation. We talked about regeneration. Regeneration, and a word is, well, one word, two words you can tell. Tell me what it is. Regeneration. Yeah, born again, right? Yeah, God imparts spiritual life to us. Conversion. We talked about that. What's conversion? Now, what, whose side of the coin is conversion? That's, that's us, right? Now, God's not being, God, convert. yes, he saves us. We turn, conversion is turning. We turn to him. We respond to him, right? And so all that basically happens simultaneously. We talked about regeneration and, and faith and all that. But now we move on to justification. That was the key issue of the Reformation. It was the issue that revolutionized the life of Martin Luther, this is what Luther is all about, and uh, Luther said, "If this article, justification, he's talking about, he's talking about a doctrine when he says article. If this doctrine of justification stands, the church stands, and if this doctrine of justification collapses, the church will collapse with it. And that's true, because it stands or falls on justification by faith. If we're whatever, if we're preaching that it's something different, we're preaching another gospel." But the Roman Church, Roman Catholic Church perverted this doctrine. You guys know this, and they're still doing that today. Um, before we get going to that, let's look back at the Romans 8 again, the five golden chains, the five golden links in the, in the uh, golden chain of salvation. What did I say? Five links in the golden chain of salvation, chain links. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Uh, you guys have that? I, I, you know, this is, I keep going back here because it's such a key passage. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, right? To become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And though these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. So, the people that were predestined and the, were the same people that were called, the inward call, the effectual call of the gospel; those people will also be what justified. So you see how that works. And in time, and before time, he you know predestines people to be saved. Then in time and history, during the life of Steve Couture, he calls him at some point to himself to be saved, and he justifies him. And it goes on like that. And then he glorifies him in time to come. So all these things follow. You know, they they all go together. True believers do not skip any. Links in the chain. It's all going to happen. But what is justification? What is that? Before before you guys look at the notes, and I already have it memorized probably. What is justification? Being made right. There's a word in there. I I don't have. What's that? Yeah, declaration of what? We'll talk about a word you said in that, Steve, in a minute. Okay, you said the same word as Steve said. There's a word, you, you said declaration at the beginning, and then you changed the word to being made right, okay? And we're going to well, I'm going to tell you why we have a problem with that word. Made right? In and of itself, I don't have a problem with the word, but because of another teaching that came in, I have a problem with the word. So what is what is justification again? It's, de- it's a declaration that what? Right. That people are righteous, right? Yeah. People are declared righteous that are saved, so it's justified. And I have in your notes, justification is an instantaneous legal act. It's a legal act of God in which He, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven. He views our sins as forgiven. And Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And, he, and number two, he, he declares us to be righteous in His sight. It's a grudem. Uh, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which He thinks of our, uh, thinks of our sins as forgiven. And Christ's righteousness is belonging to us, and he declares us to be righteous in his sight as a result of Christ's righteousness, okay? That's the definition. Okay, we'll look at it, We'll break it down. Number one, just A, justification, includes a legal, direct, includes a legal declaration by God, legal declaration by God. And uh, when the word justified is used in connection with this subject, with Christ, it means to declare righteous. I would get that in my head, declare righteous, okay? He declares us righteous. It's even used in the sense of God himself in Luke chapter 7. um, The uh, people are coming to be baptized by John the Baptist, and those that are truly repentant, they are coming there to be prepared for the coming of Christ. And so John commends these people for what they're doing. Luke 7, 29, it says this. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they heard what John was doing, baptizing, they acknowledged God's... NASB they, they, has, they acknowledged God's justice. Literally, they justified God, it says. They justified God when they heard all this, when they were seeing the baptism and what John was doing, preaching repentance, preaching get ready for Christ's coming, repent for that. And it says they justified God having been baptiz- baptized with the baptism of God, of John, rather. That was right at the time, to be baptized by the baptism of John. They were repenting, getting ready for the coming of Christ. It says they justified God by all this. In other words, they, they declared him to be righteous. They said God is righteous. We're doing the right, this is the right thing that we're doing. He's righteous in what he's doing. He's righteous in what he's saying. And that's how justification is applied in salvation. When God justifies a person, he declares him righteous. He says, now Wendell's righteous because I see the righteousness of Christ in him because of the Christ-finished work on the cross. Um, go to Romans 4, 5. Romans 4, 5. Wendell, do you have a preacher's Bible with you or a regular Bible? Yeah. That ain't good. If you don't have a preacher's Bible, you really don't have the real Bible, okay, first of all. You have a Greek Bible? What, 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 how does that compare to this? Romans 4, 5. What does it say there? Yeah, that's a great verse. His faith is credited or accounted or reckoned as righteousness. Uh, God reckons us, you know, once we come to Christ and believe on him, God reckons us to be righteous, not on the basis of works, but through faith. But who does he justify? Verse 5, Romans 4, 5. Who does he justify? Look at verse 5. What are they called? Yeah, the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. So he declares the ungodly, godly, right? declares the ungodly righteous. And he credits, see that word credited? What a great word that is, right? Um, he credits them, uh, his faith is credited as, as righteousness. That's how God sees it. All right, go to, go to uh, Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33. Wendell's going to read this in the Greek for us, 8.33 and verse 34. Uh, Romans 8.33 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who, who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So this passage helps us understand the, legal, the idea of the legal declaration of God and justification by way of contrast. He's, he's contrasting um, condemnation with justification uh, to get he says uh, in verse 34 who is he who condemns Christ Jesus is he who died um, to condemn a person is to declare him guilty right we condemn someone we say he's guilty to, the opposite of condemnation is just justification to justify someone is to declare him not guilty see that's what justification is when God justifies a sinner he says of the ungodly you are not guilty even though the guy is guilty why is he not guilty now why is he all of a sudden not guilty? Because of? Yeah, Christ's righteousness was credited to his account. He put his faith in Christ. So now he's, God sees Christ's righteousness, now he's declared not guilty. And so you can see, you know, by, by the way of contrast, you can understand justification being legal declaration. Um, and that's what it is. It's a legal forensic act, okay? And we, we need to think about that part of, of justification and definition. Now, God does not impart righteousness to us. Think about this. He does not impart righteousness to us. He doesn't infuse us with righteousness. He does what? He declares us righteous. Okay? Yeah. Who? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The maid. Uh, there's not an actual change in the sinner's nature and justification. Not, your nature's not changed. are. There's a change of status. You're simply declared righteous now. Where did this come from? This infused righteousness, Stephen. Steve, do you remember? It comes from your boys in the past. The Catholics. They can't. That's. This is what the problem is. The way they define justification. Okay. Legal declarations are nothing new, by the way. They take. They happen all the time. Take a wedding, for example. Minister stands up to marry a couple, and he says, "I now, with the power invested in me, you know, and uh, state of Florida and all this, I now." you know, pronounce you man and wife, and now the two individuals before are now declared legally bound together, right? Declared to be husband and wife. Legally bound to each other. Their, has, their, has their character changed? The character of the man and the woman? No, they're the same person, right? Same people. Has their, uh, what's changed? Their legal status. Before they were single, now they're declared by the minister to be husband and wife. Not made, right. believers aren't made righteous and and this idea of righteous, the, the justification, they're declared to be so. Why are we making such a big deal of this? Because the Roman Catholics confuse the issue. This is what you know, brought about the Reformation. Because the way they define ref, uh, justification, this is one of the things. Roman Catholic teaching says that justification does not mean to be to declare righteous, but really to be made righteous. See, the word made we talked about. Um, or to, uh, well to make righteous. But when God justifies, what they're doing is this. The Roman Catholics are confusing justification with sanctification, okay? So what what what, what is sanctification? What is sanctification? Well the world the preacher's Bible is giving me a lot of issues here. What is sanctification? Huh? It's yeah, it's heavy duty, man. It's ripping my pages to shreds over here. <laughs> heavy doctrine, yeah, it is. Really heavy doctrine. What's sanctification? Okay, is that the same thing as justification? No. So justification, you're declared righteous initially. Yeah, So, so, oh, uh, Darren, you have a question. i was just kind of confused. When do you when the you change? Then? Okay, hold on. We're 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 talking about one thing, justification. We've we've talked about gospel call. We're going to we talked about redemption. All these things. Right now, we're talking about. Uh, and in, in, in regeneration, God, you know, makes you alive in Christ, okay? Um, and you become a new creation in Christ. But we're talking about different aspects of salvation. And this is just another aspect, okay? We're just saying in this particular aspect, this is not... What, what it's about is legal declaration, okay? Uh, sanctification is, you know, a person is justified, right? Declared righteous, declared not guilty. Okay, you're no longer guilty because you, you have the righteousness of Christ. Now you, live, you start living a life that's different, and that's called sanctification then. You're being sanctified the rest of your life, okay? Um, but the Roman Catholics have done it like this. They have bypassed legal justification, and they start with sanctification. What they do is they say this, um, you know, Roman Catholics are, are baptized when they're infants. That begins the, pro- pro- that begins the process of justification, Whereas, see, it's not a, a, just an instantaneous legal declaration. It's a process for them. That process goes on the rest of your life. You're being justified the rest of your life, okay? Instead of sanctified. So they confuse the two. And uh, so you get baptized, and then you have to accept the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And then you have to do good works and all these things. You don't commit, you know, mortal sins. You even try to stay away from venial sins and all these kind of things. Um... But the Bible doesn't say any of that at all. Okay, so when Martin Luther came along, he had to define. He didn't. That's what he was thinking. See, and then he realized when he read Romans one seventeen, "The just shall live by faith." It's it's by faith. Wait a minute. This is all wrong. What we're doing here. Okay, and it, lights went off in his head. So when the Bible speaks of an imputed righteousness, whereas the Bible does, whereas it speaks of imputed righteousness or credited to your account, the Catholics talk about an infused righteousness. You know, you're made righteous. God actually puts righteousness into us and changes us internally. So Roman, here's a quote, Roman Catholicism collapses sanctification into justification, okay? The inevitable consequence is that the believer's own perfect, imperfect, righteousness replaces the perfect righteousness of Christ as the sole ground of justification. Every time I'm doing this now, somebody calls me. Uh, Wednesday night, same thing happens. <laughs> uh, so, and I called that guy already, he didn't respond so anyway um, that's you can't confuse the two okay the righteousness of Christ is sole ground of justification not me not my righteousness that's not the sole ground of justification Um, so the Roman Catholic is expected to to maintain good works throughout his life to maintain a strength of justification Um, but if that's the case we're never going to be justified because justification is by what faith right not by works the scripture says um, and here's another problem with this: the Roman Catholic never. Have you ever noticed? You ever talked to a Roman Catholic and said, "Are you gonna? If you die today, would you go to heaven?" What's their answer? 100% of the time. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure. Everyone I've talked to over the years. I don't know. I think so. I hope so. Maybe. I don't know for sure. Why is this? Because of this right here. They 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 don't know if they're fully justified, because they're trying to they're trying to be justified, but it's not really happening. So, the, there are, the Roman Catholic never knows if he's in a state of grace or not, or if he can stay there. Steve, you? I was going to say, that's why they had to sell purgatory. Yeah, that's right. They that's gave one. You your other yeah. Purgatory. Yeah. So, they bought the documents for purgatory, and, and uh, what do they call those? The uh, I can't remember now. What did you say Indulgence. Indulgences. Indulgences were sold in the Reformation period by. Uh, the Roman Catholic people, I think the guy's name was Tetzel, that went around selling them and preaching to everybody. You need to buy, buy these indulgences so you can make ensure that you're going to go to heaven one day and so on. And the Council of Trent said this, If one considers his own weakness and his defective disposition, he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of grace. This is the Council of Trent. This is defining Catholic doctrine, okay? They say, If one considers his own weakness and his defective disposition, he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of grace, as nobody knows with certainty of faith, which permits of no error that he has achieved the grace of God. So he says, in the Council of Trent, they say, you can never know if you're a Catholic. You can never know if you're in a state of grace for sure, definitely, with certainty. You You can't know if you've achieved the grace of God in its full realization. So you can never know if you're saved. Now, who wants to live that way? I'm, I, if I'm going to give myself to something the rest of my life and be in uncertainty, well, I hope I think I can make it on my own. And really, a lot of this, yeah, you cooperate with the grace of God, supposedly. Really, a lot of this is on your own. You better make it happen, you know. Well, if I was living that way, I, wouldn't, I can assure you I would not go to heaven. I would not go. Because I would always be wondering about that. All right. B, justification is grounded in the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's grounded in the imputed righteousness of Christ. What do we mean by imputed? The righteousness of Christ is imputed our right. But I think, you know, one word I like for imputed is credited. I like to think of it as a bank account. His righteousness has been credited to your account, okay? Like... Money's been deposited to your account. Okay, this is on your, on your side. This is for you. Um, this is how God can rightfully justify the ungodly. You need the other page window? That's the wrong one. Let me see what you have. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone with these pages. Can you help me find (laughs) B? Maybe there's no B. You guys see a B? Or did you get the page? Wait a minute. Wendell, I'm sorry, man. Oh, here it is, Wendell. Here it is. All these pages, after a while, you're totally confused. You don't even know what's happening. Uh... Okay, how can God rightfully justify the ungodly, imputed righteousness? Christ credits his righteousness to your... Now, here's the thing. Let's, let's talk about this. Whoa, it's, it's, it... What is imputed righteousness? Here's the definition. It is God's act of crediting the righteousness of Christ to sinners who trust in him for salvation. But it's a two-fold process, okay? There's two things that happen in imputed righteousness. First of all, our, our sin is credited to Christ's account, okay? And then his, his righteousness is credited to our account. So who gets the wrong end of the deal on this? He does right. We get the good end of the deal, right? It's a twofold process. Number one, let's talk about the imputation of our sin to Christ. Okay, turn to Second Corinthians five twenty-one. Second Corinthians five twenty-one, and this is, I should have this verse memorized by now, Paul. <laughs> It'd be good to memorize it, which says, "He made God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf." so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, okay? So let me quote MacArthur's theology book on this. In what sense did the Father make the Son sin on our behalf? Now, this is interesting. I don't think of it like this normally, uh, but think about this. In what sense did the Father make the Son sin on our behalf? That's what it says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Christ to be sin on our behalf. Okay, here's here's in this sense. In only one sense... The Father counted Jesus to have committed all the sin of those who would ever repent and believe in him. Think about that for a minute. It's as if, I would say it this way, it's as if Christ had committed all the sins that we've committed to be made sin. Does that sound right? He did not actually make Jesus a sinner. It would be blasphemous to suggest that the God-man was actually made a sinner, for God cannot sin. Instead, since justification is a legal declaration, the Father judicially reckoned Christ to have committed the sins of those for whom he was giving himself as a substitute. It's reckoned to be the case. As if Christ had committed all the sins that we, we have committed, that everybody's committed. Okay? All right. Can someone go to Isaiah 53.6 and someone else? First Peter 2.24. Isaiah 53.6. 1 Peter 2.24. Yeah, Darren. Did you guys get kicked out of Mike's house or Uh, what? Go ahead. You know what? I was reading about that this morning by accident. And I was thinking about propitiation. We were talking about that this morning. And for him to bear the wrath of God, yeah, for him to bear the wrath of God for all the sins committed upon himself, I think that's, that, that plays into this, yes. And so he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not forever, but for, why, for this time period while I'm on the cross. Yes. Because how could God, because the Son's bearing the wrath of God for the full fury of the wrath of God for all the sins, and he is, our sin is being credited to Christ. How can God look with favor upon that? Yes, he does, and yet he doesn't. You know what I mean? He does on the one hand because he wants his son to die for the sins of the world. On the other hand, it's totally repulsive to God, the Father. That's the amazing thing about the cross. Um, What does Isaiah 53, 6 say? Yeah, we've all went our gone our own way. We do whatever we do our own thing, right? However, the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall upon Christ. So he got the brunt of that. He got the raw end of the deal. 1 Peter 2:24. He got the raw end of the whole deal, right? But we know why he did it. 1 Peter 2:24. Yeah, he himself bore his our sins on his body on the tree, right on the cross. All right, that being the case, my sin is not account, my sin is not counted against me, because i believed on Christ. It's it's counted against Christ. It's not counted against me. It should be rightfully, but it's not because he took upon upon himself. Go to Romans chapter four, verse seven. Romans four, seven, and eight. So we can say this as a result. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whom, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So we're blessed because the Lord won't take our sin into account, although we rightfully deserve that. And then Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation, right, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So that's the imputation of our sin to Christ. Second, the second part of this process is the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Okay? It's not a completed process unless he imparts his, his imputes, rather, impar, imputes his righteousness to us. Now I don't have a, a problem with saying certain words, but just because the Catholics confuse the issue, we're kind of forced to say certain things, right? But it's not enough to have. all well, the Bible teaches us anyway. It's not enough to have our sins forgiven, though. There must be a positive response, a positive provision of righteousness, and that's the other end of this thing. Okay. Um, and so let's look at some verses there. That's what we're doing. Looking at verses. What is uh, Wendell? Can you look up Isaiah sixty-one ten? And Bob, can you look up uh, Romans four three through five? And Steve, Romans five eighteen and nineteen. Romans five eighteen and nineteen. Wendell, you got Isaiah sixty-one ten. Yeah, that's what happens to salvation. We're we're wrapped with a robe of righteousness, right? The righteousness of Christ. That's a good picture of it right there. And then Romans five, 4, rather, 3 through 5. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the like ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Yeah, Abraham believed... He was credited to him as righteousness, okay, because of faith. And then Romans 5, 18 and 19. So then through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Okay. And I have a quote: um, Adam disobeyed God, and his disobedience was counted for condemnation to all who were in him. In the same way, Christ obeyed God and his obedience was counted for righteousness to all who were in him. Okay, so, you know, the imputation of his righteousness. So, and both the legal demands of God are satisfied by Christ taking our sin and punishment. And uh, the need for righteousness, which is not infused in me, but is imputed to me, credited to my account. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 summarizes both events. So he was made to be sinned, but... My righteousness, his righteousness becomes mine. That's called the great exchange. People call that the great exchange. And it is a great exchange. And uh, it's the greatest exchange. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Or can someone read Philippians 3, 8, and 9? 9. Yeah, not righteousness of my own, but that which is through Christ, right? In 1 Corinthians 1.30, I'll read this. It's a great verse. By his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, redemption. He became Christ is everything to us, in other words. He became righteousness to us. All right, C, justification is by faith alone. It's by faith alone. How can the righteousness of Christ be applied to me? As Martin Luther found out, by faith alone apart from works. That's what the Reformers called sola fide, right? Faith alone. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 22. Verse 21. Now that apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction, verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And it goes on like that. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. But to, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Go to 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by what? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 9, verse 30. Again and again, you see it again and again all through Romans. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but by works. Go to 10.10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. It's all about belief, right? And, uh, and then Galatians 2.16. We'll look at one more here. Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified, he says it three times in a row in that verse. It's almost as if I've got to enforce this, you know. And a good example of this is a, of a justified person. We already talked about this in Sunday school. Is Luke 18, right? The the uh, Luke 18 9 to 14. The the uh, I'm going to call him the publican, then I wanted to call him the republican. The tax collector, right? The publican is the old King James word. Tax collector, I don't know if he was a republican or what, but he was a tax collector at any rate. Um, But, you know, he prays the sinner's prayer, right? God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So faith is the means through which we receive the righteousness of Christ, right? All right, D, the result of justification is good works. The result... The result of justification is good works. So here's what happens when you talk about justification. The argument comes up. What's the argument that comes up in justification? What do people? There's another argument that comes up <laughs> not just the Roman Catholic versus so-called Protestant argument. <laughs> I tell you, these pages are going to drive me insane. I hope this isn't like the book of life where the pages are lost, you know? Hey, I don't have page two. Your name's not the book of life. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, you don't want me to be in charge of the book of life, by the way. Did you say page two or three? three. Uh, page three. Three. <laughs> this would be page three, I think. No, yeah, we don't have it yet. We don't You have it. Yet. know? I think well. Have it? <laughs> okay. Hey, Wendell, do you have it? Do you have the next page? How did he get it? Well, he didn't have page two. He wasn't in the book of life. <laughs> he is now. And sometimes you get removed from the book of life. Sometimes sometimes you're added to it. Sometimes you're misplaced. Okay? Hey, sometimes if you I guess, I guess so. At least in this class. So, okay. When you a person is justified, <coughs> he produces good works. The argument is this. We, we get to, we're get we reading through the Bible in Romans. Paul says we're justified by faith. And then you get to James. What happens in James 2? What does he say? Justified by works. Justified by works. Look at James 2. James 2.14. Yeah, but I tell you what, my, my Norway paper, my opaque paper from Norway is really nice. I'm telling you, there's no this never sticks. None of the pages stick. Okay. James 2 14 to 26. All right, let's read this. 2 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now we just talked a million times about faith is, is what produces well, you know you end up with the righteousness of Christ. If a brother or sister is without clothing and need a daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled reminds me of something we used to do that was not very nice up north but we won't talk about that right now Um, you say to this person go in peace be warmed and filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body what use is that even so faith if it has no works is dead being by itself well this is just the opposite of what paul said but someone may well say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without the works i'll show you my faith by my works you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, I always thought that's interesting that he calls him that, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Oh, well, maybe the Catholics are right. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so, faith, so also faith without works is dead. All right, so on the surface it looks like James is saying we're justified by works, not by faith. How do we reconcile Paul and James? How do we do that? Well... Number one, James is using the word justified in a different sense than Paul is is by talking about being declared. Paul was talking about being declared righteous, being declared righteous, being declared righteous. James is using the word in the sense of vindicate or the demonstration of righteousness. Okay? Talking about the demonstration of righteousness now. James is not speaking of initial justification but of of the demonstration of a person already justified. Person who has already been declared righteous should do what? Should demonstrate his righteousness, right? He's been declared righteous. He's, he demonstrates it. Number two, James uses three illustrations to show <clears throat> that, that the life of a true, justified believer is what vindicates him. You're vindicated by your life of good works because you're truly a believer. The first illustration is, has to do with the brother lacking the necessities of life. I'll tell you the little illustration. We were up, up north. We were just college people, so we were half, half out of our mind anyway, right? So we'd go down the road, you see the hitchhiker, and you yell out, Be warmed and filled. And you kept going on your way. That was not very nice, but we did that crazy stuff back then, okay? So James, James 2, 14 through 17. Look at, That's the first part of this. You, the, the guy, you know, is lacking. We did help people out, too, by the way. We just did that for a joke. It wasn't funny, probably, but anyway, we thought it was at the time. So if someone is in need of clothing, in need of daily food, that kind of thing, I'm talking about, okay, this has to be qualified, too. Someone's destitute and in great need. Now, I'm not talking about scam artists out there trying to scam everybody right now, okay? I'm talking about someone who's truly in need and all this. Um, and you have the ability to meet the needs, okay, whatever it may be. Again, this could be qualified in certain ways, okay? However, you you decide you're not going to help, you refuse to help the person, you're not going to help the person, so on and so forth, then are you really demonstrating your faith? You're really not, right? You're not really demonstrating you have true faith. That's the first illustration. Second illustration, verses 21 and 24. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about be careful what you do here, okay, with that. Well, I won't go into all that. Just be careful how there's, there's a lot of qualifiers on what I just said, okay? You don't want someone coming and killing you because you're trying to help someone out who's a mass murderer, okay? Just be careful how you do this stuff. Verses 21 to 24, Abraham. Was Abraham justified by works? Let me ask you this question. What chapter did Abraham offer up Isaac? Or was he going to at least offer up? He was going to offer up Isaac before the Lord stopped him. What chapter did he do this in? What book and what chapter? Genesis what? It's very important you know the chapter. Or the section. 22. That's very important that it's Genesis 22. And what chapter did, did say Abraham believed God and he counted him for righteousness? Well, you so much as said it earlier in your first answer. 15 six. 15 six. Yeah, 15.6. So, Abraham, and, what is Bob, what does Genesis 15.6 say? Uh, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The Lord, I mean, Abraham believed in the Lord. God counted him as righteousness. That's what and it quotes that in Romans, right? That's justification. Seven chapters later, you have what? A demonstration. Of Abraham's justification of his faith, because he try God says, oh, "Offer up your son Isaac to me," and he goes about that process, and God stops him and says, "You know, you're, you're obedient. I can see you're obedient to me now." So he demonstrates his faith later in his life. So that faith, the faith he exhibited, he he believed in Genesis fifteen. He shows in Genesis twenty two later on down the line. Hey, I have real faith. This is real. I'm demonstrating it right now. So by his in, in the verse uh, James two twenty three says. And the scripture was fulfilled. What scripture? Genesis 15:6. Genesis 22 fills, fulfills Genesis 15:6. Abraham shows by his works his faith is real. Okay, so there's no contradiction between James and Abraham. Abraham between James and uh, Paul, rather. Paul says Abraham was justified by faith. James says, Yeah, later on he demonstrated that faith by his works. Okay, and there's a third illustration. Rahab, James 2:25 and 26. Now, we can talk about Rahab, should she have said this and that and the other thing. Well, I don't know. But here's the bottom line. Here's what he's saying. Rahab shows she really had faith by hiding the spies, okay? She demonstrated her faith. That's what, that's what the point is he's trying to make. You guys can argue about did Rahab lie all day long and all this stuff. The point is she demonstrated her faith through lying. Just kidding. She demonstrated her faith, okay? Demonstrated her faith. Calvin said this faith alone justifies, and yet, what? Uh, not a, not alone. The faith which justifies is not alone. Yeah. Faith alone justifies, right? But the faith that justifies is not alone. There's works that follow in the train of a believer's uh, justification. All right, any questions on justification? No? Shane now is going to take over the next part of the lesson. Now I want you to try to pass out these papers for me. No, it's just, while well, I'll get them out. I got it. There's only one paper here, so I, I can't mess this up, maybe. I don't think I can mess this up. You guys do one or two. I never get this right. Okay. Wait a minute. It's like yesterday. I said, did you go to the, she said she went to the hospital. so said she never went to the hospital. Remember that? <laughs> okay. Adoption. What time is it? Five four. Right? Five, four. Oh, we got three minutes or so? whatever. Adoption. All right. We're on adoption. Another aspect of salvation, adoption. We're covering all these aspects. All right. Regeneration. Everything. Scriptural evidence for adoption. A. Is that what it says on my notes, or does it say some bizarre thing? Okay. Good. What is adoption, Wendell? What is the definition of adoption? Oh, off your head? You're going to give us off your head now? Okay, oh, go ahead. Okay, no, no, so no. I want to hear what, what is it off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, um, um, God, like, just. I don't know. When I, when I think about, like. Uh, I like that so far. God, like, I don't know. Okay? <laughs> That's what I thought. Now, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Like, so, you he, see in John, I don't know if it's six or whatever, but Jesus has like, no one to come to the Father, and the Father draws him. Gotcha. Like, Right. And makes uh, his own possession. So yep. that's how I would define it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm not a no, That's fine. That's fine. Uh, uh, Grudem, in a very simple definition, says adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Used to be the old definition was to place as an adult son. But Grudem has his own, <laughs> his own unique definitions. <coughs> so, to. He, he makes us members of his family. Okay, go to John chapter 1, verse 12. John 1 12, and we'll look at some of the verses. We're talking about scriptural evidence for adoption. John 1 12, and uh, we'll go to Romans 8 after that. By the way, you guys, what's the thing with Mike's uh, lunch at Mike's house on Sunday? How's that working out now? Do you, you eat at his house or what? Does anybody do this? Yeah. Okay. Not here, at his house, right? At his house. Okay. We talked about, okay. John 1, John 12. Uh, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. That's uh, part of adoption. He, uh, he gives, this is a right he bestows upon us, okay? Not everybody has this right, but those whom he gives this right to are blessed to, to be called his children. Uh, like an adopted child, right? Not everybody's adopted out. Like in China, Samuel. That adoption agency, Samuel's, and how many people were adopted by, you know, Christian people, out of that adoption agency? Maybe one, Samuel. How many others? I don't know. The chances are high. None of them were, you know. So that's a right that he he was best, was bestowed upon Samuel. Go to Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. And if heirs, uh, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Right? Um, it's by faith. Adoption is, same thing, again, like justification. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. We'll just quote a few more verses and we'll quit. People are starting to come in. Galatians 3, 23. Through 26. But before faith came, um, we kept, were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law became our tutor to lead us Christ, so that we may just, be justified by faith. Now, faith has come. We're no longer under a tutor, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So, not only justification, but adoption as well, right? Um, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and call it quits right now. I guess pick it up next time.